All right, so if you didn't, if you didn't stay up late last night, uh, the New England Patriots, that's a uh, professional football team. And football with the pointy ends, not the round one that Europeans kick around. Uh, it, American football, they defeated the Tennessee Titans 35-14, and they advanced to the conference championships next week. And yeah, very, very wonderful. So uh, what, what I love about this team and, and football in general is there's the play that you draw, and then there's the play that actually happens. And there was a moment in the fourth quarter, the Patriots were up 21 points, which is pretty good, except they're playing a team that last week was down 21 points and came back. So I was really hoping to see maybe one more touchdown and then I could go to bed and it was uh, third and 10 and uh, Tom Brady drops back for a pass and everybody runs their route and does the play just like they um, drew it up, but nobody was open. So he started to run and seeing 40 year old men run and, and, and exercise and I, it's just not pretty. And see, he was never a real graceful runner anyway. Um, 40-year-old men can be handsome, but um, <laughs> I hear. But the, the running, and you don't want him to get hurt either, so you, Tom, don't run. But he's running this way, and then he just kind of jumps up into the air and does, just kind of throws the ball up and falls down. Nobody touched him. He just jumped and threw and hit the ground. And the ball just kind of slow motion falls right into the arms of Danny Amendola, 12-yard gain, first down, and then they drove and scored the, the touchdown that sent me to bed and uh, basically put the nail in the coffin there. So that's not exactly, my point is, that's not how they practice that play, where he just kind of jumps and falls over and the ball goes, but that's the way it happens. And this is not just sports, this is all of life. There's the way we make plans in life, and there's the way life really actually turns out. Um, the way we plan how my career will go, or my relationships, my family, um, my children. Oh, there's the things that we plan, and then there's the reality of how life plays out. Proverbs 16.9 says this. In his heart, a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. But here's the good news. As the Lord determines our steps, we have this beautiful promise also from Scripture that we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So sometimes things don't play out the way we drew them up, but God is working his good purposes. And here in this passage today, the Apostle Paul gets the ultimate, well, this isn't the way we drew it up. Paul and his companions were very strategic about where they would travel and where they would minister and where they would teach. Uh, they were also very prayerful about this. They went to very key cities, places like Corinth and Ephesus, and they didn't go to places like Colossae, but because they went to Ephesus and the believers there went and brought the good news of Jesus Christ to Colossae, there was a church planted there and Paul was able to encourage them, but he actually never went there. They, they went to the really the most strategic places. Now, think about Rome in the first century. Rome is the most important city in the world at the time. Probably about a million people lived there. And it was the power center. It was the height of all culture and learning. And, and if the gospel spread through Rome, again, the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel, if this message of Jesus' life his atoning death and his resurrection, if, this, if 
if it went through Rome, it could go to the whole known world at that time. It would be an amazing opportunity. So Paul would love to go to Rome, and he would love to stand out in a public place and say, Men of Rome, let me tell you who Jesus is. Let me tell you what he has done. So as it turns out, Paul got his chance to go to Rome. But not outdoors in public. He was under arrest, and he's under house arrest, and he is in chains. He is bound, probably, probably chained to a prison guard all day. That's not the way he drew that one up. But Paul knows, and we know, that God is in control. And he's writing to his friends in this church he planted in Philippi, and he's very close with these people, and they are worried sick about their pastor, Paul, who they've heard is in trouble, who they have heard is in prison. And he says, I want you to know that all this has happened, all these setbacks, all the things that have happened in this ministry have actually served to advance the message of Jesus. And because of that, I rejoice. Let's pray. Father God, I admit that I often see setbacks in life. I see things that don't go the way that I plan, and I see that as somehow a sign that you weren't, your hand was not in it somehow. God, give me the grace to know that's not true. Father, help all of us to recognize your sovereignty and your goodness and help us to have eyes of faith to understand what you're doing in and through the circumstances of our lives, Lord. May it all be for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're studying through the book of Philippians and it's a letter, a very personal letter. It follows the form of a personal letter from Paul to all the saints in Philippi, to all the church leaders there. And he greets them. Greetings, grace to you, peace to you. Here's my prayer to God for you. I, I pray that your, your love would grow and that God would continue to do his good work through you. And then he says, this is what I want you to know. This is sort of the body of the letter. And in verse 12, he says, I want you to know that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel, that God is using Paul's chains for his good. And there are three people, or three groups of people, through whom this gospel is advancing, and I want to look at these three groups. The first is Paul himself, verse 13. So we have, actually, before I read it, it's Paul's, the gospel is advancing through Paul to the prison guards around him, Verse 13, as a result of what has happened, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. So, as we understand, Paul is under arrest and he's in some sort of prison or some sort of house arrest and he's likely chained and he could be chained, he's probably a high-level prisoner, chained to a Roman guard. And if you think about it, Paul's chained to the guard, but what, what does that mean? It means the guard is chained to Paul. The, the guard is chained to a preacher all day long. Imagine that for your job. That's a captive audience. You know, I'm here, I'm chained, so I can't escape from you, but you know what that means? You can't escape from me, so let me tell you about Jesus. You can picture the guards punching in that day. 
Oh, I'm, I'm assigned to the, uh, to the gates of the palace today. I hope, hope it doesn't rain. Hey, Charlie, what did you get for your assignment? And he's looking. Oh, no. Oh, no. You got Paul again, didn't you? You got assigned to Paul. That guy, he just goes on and on about Jesus. And Charlie says, yeah, I know. And you try to change the subject. Paul, hey, how about the weather? He says, you know, Jesus is like the sun that gives light to everything. And I said, hey, Paul, how about sports? And he said, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus, my Lord. Paul, maybe we could talk politics. And then he goes on about the law and about God's grace and the law and the grace of Jesus. And he could write a whole book on that one, a book like Romans or Galatians. Paul's saying, look, there is no question why I am in this place because I'm preaching to the guards. So now he's not out in public. He's not in some grand stage. He's one-on-one, just whoever's with him, proclaiming Christ. And the word is spreading, and the word is spreading everywhere. It's very clear. Now, we're not actually, I assume that Paul is in a prison in Rome, in the city of Rome, historically, we're not 100% sure that he was in Rome, but I assume that he was. Tradition holds that he was in a Roman prison. And if he is then, then the palace guards in Rome would be pretty high-level guards, pretty high-level soldiers. And we know that they're hearing this message. We're not sure if if these guards are then putting their faith in Jesus, if if they're receiving the message by faith, or if they're just hearing it. But assuming that these people might be coming to faith. These are the palace guards of Caesar. This is the emperor himself. This is Paul preaching right in the headquarters of Rome. All the power, really, of the, of the known world is right there, and the gospel of Jesus Christ is right in the household of Caesar. It, and even if that's not exactly historically what happened, you ha- we have to admit the potential that was there for that type of setting just by preaching to one person at a time. At the end of this letter, and we'll get to this later, but Philippians 4.22, the Apostle Paul is closing out this letter, and he writes this. He says, All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. So there is a... It's, this message is, is getting very close uh, to places of great power. So the point here is that in Jesus Christ... Obstacles become opportunities. What we see as an obstacle, God sees as an opportunity. Paul was in chains, but here's an opportunity to make the gospel known. God does not waste your time. God does not waste your pain. This is how God works. We see it time and again as you read through Scripture. All kinds of things happen, and good things and tragic things, but God is using it all for his glory. Way back in the book of Genesis, there was a man named Joseph. And Joseph, a famous story, had the coat of many colors, and his brothers become envious of him. They beat him and throw him in a well, and they later sell him as a slave to foreigners. And he goes off to a, as a slave in, in a foreign country. And many, many years later, his brothers, he ends up back confronted with his brothers who had done these things to him. And he says this to them. He says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. 
He, know, he knew how God works. The ultimate example of this is the cross of Jesus Christ. The cross of Jesus Christ seems like the ultimate failure, the ultimate humiliation, that Jesus is uh, accused, he's falsely convicted, but he's, he's crucified, and he dies on the cross. This moment of great defeat, God uses for his glory, to, to God's greatest glory, because on that cross goes all the sin and death and the punishment that we deserve, Jesus takes it on him. But because death cannot hold him, because he is victorious over death, he rises again to new life to bring us forgiveness and new life and immortality through this good news of Jesus to those who put their faith in him. This looks like the worst failure God is using it, but to receive that forgiveness, to receive his grace, it had to come through death. It had to come through pain. That's how God works. That is how God works for us. So my question is, what is your circumstance? What is your hard place? What is your chains? You might feel chained to a terrible job or a terrible boss. I'm shackled to this terrible person. Maybe you feel shackled to one of these, a device, and you'd love to be free from it, but... People need you, and the messages, and the emails, and the tasks keep coming, and you just feel trapped. Maybe you feel confined to a house with children and errands and just the busyness of, of life. Maybe you feel confined to hotel rooms and airplanes and rental cars when you would much prefer to be at home with your spouse. Maybe you're a student, and you feel chained to a syllabus, into homework, into a schedule. Here's the reality. Wherever you are, there's an opportunity for the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ, to advance where there otherwise would not be an opportunity simply because you are there. You're not there by accident. My friend Brian is going through a situation like this, and he's given me permission to share a little of his story. Uh, but Brian is in my small group, and he's, um, he, he's lost his job unexpectedly. That's created a great uh, stress and financial pressure on him and his family. And he said very clearly to us at group, he said, God is using this for good. And I know he is. I am confident that God is using this for good, because that he's going to use it for good, because he already is using it for good that I know God is going to work good, and I know God is teaching me things. And whatever lesson he, even if it's just the humility, God is teaching me. And I'm using this as an opportunity to encourage other people. And he's been sharing with his, uh, with his neighbor and with, with other people in his life who see the trouble that he's going through, and they're going through their troubles, and they see his faith, and they see his hope, and they see his confidence that God is not wasting it. And he's used that as a great encouragement to those around him. He knows that God has him in this place for a reason, even though, and he says, it's not easy. This is difficult, but God is at work. Notice that the Apostle Paul here in chains, he's not, he never says, Lord, why me? But there is sort of a why me question, but it's much more positive. Lord, why me in this time and place? Why have you placed me here? What do you want me to see? What do you desire to do in and through me where I am? And you can easily see 
how this could shape the way that you pray every day so that when you get up and you pour your heart out to the Lord and as you're praying, here's a prayer I wrote this week. I, I pray, Lord, I complain a lot. Help me instead to live a life of gratitude to you. Give me eyes to see how your gospel is advancing around me. I desire to be a part of it. Show me how to trust you more. Give me grace to be obedient to you, Lord, as your kingdom advances. And here's Paul. He's in his chains, and he found that this situation is an opportunity for the gospel to be made known. Now, that doesn't mean you should, you should seek to get arrested or try to be persecuted or try to get in a bad place. But what we can do is be encouraged to ask that question, God, why have you put me here? How can I make the good news known in my workplace, in my home, in the groups that I'm involved in, in the community, at the coffee shop, at the gym? How do these places present an opportunity, Lord, to share your good news? That's the question. So that's the gospel advancing through Paul. The second group here is we see the gospel advancing through the boldness of other believers. Look at verse 14. Because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. So it's Paul's example as a leader. They see how he's living out his faith and his situation, and they're just emboldened to live it out where they are. And now the gospel is advancing through them because of what's happening to Paul. Saw a great example of this. As a number of you know, I had the opportunity to travel to China this summer and to visit with church leaders and to see how the gospel is advancing in China. And one thing that was happening more in years past was that the Chinese government was trying to really squash out Christianity and they were imprisoning church leaders in terrible conditions. Some were even uh, tortured or killed. And what they found, the government found was, as they imprisoned these church leaders, it really emboldened the congregations to raise up. And the, the more that they tried to squash it out, the more emboldened people became. So the government realized, say, you know what, we're, gonna, we're not going to do this anymore. We're not going to imprison these people because it's going to fire up everybody. Let's just try to keep it calm. Keep it in place. Try to control it where it is. But don't arrest anybody. Because if you want to see an, an uprising, just start to torture one of these Christians and see them continue in their faith and see what happens and see how it spreads. We are a people who are called to you know, stand firm where we are, and that encourages others as we make the tough decisions where we don't compromise morally and ethically, where we don't compromise intellectually. Or, you know, when we just keep Christ supreme, that, that's not just for us. That emboldens one another to, to follow the same. And notice that these people, they're inspired by Paul, but their trust isn't in this man, Paul. They are confident in the Lord, as the verse says. As the old song goes, it, it only takes a spark to get a fire going. It just takes one person on fire for Christ to embolden a whole group of people. And as you sit here today, God may want you to be that spark for someone else. As you stand firm in the midst of whatever you're facing, as you speak of Christ, to see this, the fire of the good news of Jesus get going. And, and look how they're proclaiming without fear 
They're confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Fear is a big one. When we start to think of speaking of Jesus and sharing the good news, fear is a main factor that holds us back. Fear of what will people think of me? What if people think I'm weird? What if I get rejected? What if I don't really know what to say? Fear of losing your reputation for your faith. But as the psalmist says, Psalm 56, 3, when I am afraid, I will trust in you. That instead of motivated by fear, we are confident that God is at work and we take a stand for the good news. So that's how it's going through these other people. The last group, thirdly here, the gospel is advancing through Paul's opponents. Now this is, Paul did not draw it up this way. Take a look at verse 15. He says, it's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry. Others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I'm here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. This, this is Paul's opponents who are causing trouble for him. They are jealous of him, and yet they, it is causing them to preach the, the good news of Jesus more and more. This is strange. The reality is, and the, the commentator Stephen Lawson, as he's reflecting on this passage, he said, you know, every great preacher has, has opponents, has critics, even within the church. John Calvin, perhaps one of the most famous pastors and reformers of all of the history of the church, he was exiled from his pulpit in Geneva, Switzerland, after just two years. They just exiled him. Perhaps the most famous pastor in New England, 18th century Puritan Jonathan Edwards, he was integral in what we know as what was called the Great Awakening, this great movement of God's Spirit in this region. He was voted out of his pastorate after 22 years of ministry in Northampton, Massachusetts. And the vote was 90% to get rid of him. Charles Spurgeon, he was the famous English preacher, 19th century. He is known as the, you know, the prince of preachers, just very influential on, on many people, including myself. Uh, it, from reading his, his works, but he suffered s severe discouragement, even depression perhaps, from this controversy in opposition from his own denomination, from leaders in his own group of churches, as he was, uh, it's called the downgrade controversy, where he was trying to hold up the authority of Scripture, and, and it, he was, faced all kinds of opposition. No pastor who preaches the truth is without critics, and here, same with Paul, there were people who were critical of him, and so he did not draw it up this way, but what's happening now is the rivals are advancing the gospel, envy, rivalry, trying to cause trouble. Now this is very strange, but a couple things to keep in mind. One, it, he doesn't, he, he's not saying that these are false teachers, that they're teaching something other than Jesus. Paul had encountered that, people who were, preaching something like the gospel of Jesus, but really adding other things to it. He's saying, no, no these, these are people who are actually preaching the gospel. The problem isn't the message, it's their heart, it's their motive. So they're actually preaching about the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and putting faith in him alone. So they were preaching the right thing. And he's also not condoning their envy and their rivalry. That it's, it's not, he's not saying it's, it's okay that they feel this way. So we don't see that here. And you can see how this would happen 
You know, we're all called to serve in ministry, and it can be easy to, to feel envious of other people. Oh, that person got asked to lead something, or that person got credit for this initiative, or this person got asked to you know, do this music thing, and I didn't. And, you know, we can become envious, and it can even for churches, you know, if the church down the street, you know, the church down the street's doing such an amazing job ministering to children. We're going to do a more amazing job ministering in the love of Jesus Christ to these children. You know, the, ministering in love to children in the name of Jesus Christ, that is, that's a very good thing. The motivation can get twisted. That person's preaching the gospel really well. I'm going to preach it even better, you know. That's not an okay attitude, but what is okay is the gospel being preached clearly. It's that God is honored, and that is Paul's uh, motivation. Now, the good news for me and the good news for all of us is that the effectiveness of the message is not dependent on how pure my heart is. The effectiveness of the truth of Jesus is based in the truth of Jesus and what he did, not in my heart. The truth and the power of the message is about God's spirit using it in the hearts of people who hear it, not in how pure the deliverer is. It's about how pure Jesus was and how amazing he was. Again, we all need to deal with our own sin and failures, but the good news is God's kingdom is advancing in the midst of it. And the other thing is that, we'll just look at verse 18. So this message is going out. These are kind of Paul's rivals. He says, what does it matter? What does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of that, I rejoice. There's that word again. I have joy. I rejoice. He doesn't care. He doesn't care about his reputation. You know what? Uh, I'm in prison, and these people are using it as an opportunity to kick me when I'm down. But you know what? They're preaching Jesus Christ. And because of that, I'm okay. I don't care about my reputation. Followers of Jesus Christ need to be just consumed with Jesus and with God's kingdom and care very little about our own reputations. If your reputation or my reputation, if we care more about our reputation than about God's kingdom, then we're not going to be very effective in our work in that kingdom because the priority isn't God's work. The priority is me, and that's just not going to work. We're going to be largely ineffective. So here's, the, here's Paul's concern. Hey, the word's getting out. This doesn't necessarily make me look good, but, but I don't care. So the message is going out through Paul to the guards. It's going out uh, to people who are inspired by his message. And it's going out even from his opponents. And the message of the gospel is being advanced through this terrible situation. I'm worried about how I might have written that letter if I was in prison. I got my good friends who are worried about me. Hey, everybody. Grace to you, greetings. I thank God for you. I need to tell you something. Prison is terrible. The food here, awful. And not only do I have to be in this dingy place, chained up, but now I got people out here who are speaking bad of me. They're making me look bad. I'm worried that that's kind of what I would have written. So this is causing me to check my own heart here. But the reality is, in, in your situation, in my situation, God desires to be at work. I'm going to, I've been closing the, our, our services. 
I give a word of benediction. This is a benediction I use frequently, and if you've come regularly, you've heard me say these words. They're not original to me. It's a benediction that was originally written by the Reverend Richard Halverson. He was a Senate chaplain. And sometimes somebody just puts words together in a way that just work, just makes sense. And I just want to finish by reading these words to you. This is how he would dismiss his congregation almost every week. He would say this. He'd say, go in peace and bless the world. You go nowhere by accident. Wherever you go, God is sending you there. Wherever you are, God has put you there. He has a purpose in your being there. Christ who lives in you has something he wants to do through you, wherever you are. Believe this and go in his grace and love and power. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.